I'm Sam. And boy, do we have another cracker of an episode for you today. So if you're joining us for the first time in our previous episode, we had an amazing interview with baseball writer Ben Lindbergh. Very illuminating, very fun, great guest. Go back and listen. We also make a full round of MLB projections earlier, um, and we would love for you to give those a listen as well. Yeah, and if you've been listening to the podcast, enjoying what we put out for you guys, we'd really appreciate it if on whatever platform you're listening to us on, leave a a positive review of the podcast. It really helps us uh, reach more listeners, and if you want sort of the gospel of the Alonzo bet to reach more people across the world, that's the best way to, to get us out there to other people, and we'd really appreciate it. But we've, you know, we've loved our fans so far. They've been giving us great feedback, and, and we've really enjoyed the interactions we've had with you guys. And that's why we've worked so hard on today's episode, which is going to be a very, very fun one. We're going to first run through some news in the sports world. We got some basketball news. We got some baseball news. But most importantly, we got news about sports coming back. It doesn't matter what it is, when it is. Obviously, we hope it's baseball. And golf. And golf. And we got some golf for you. So super exciting uh, news segment today. Uh, and then in our stack corner, we have something very, very special for you today. Why don't you tell the people what we got? Sam? Yeah, so we sort of promised this at the end of our at the end of our last episode, but we're sort of going to do a mega stack corner today. So the stack corner is going to be the major portion of the episode, and basically what we're going to be doing is going into all the nitty gritty details of Statcast, telling you what it is, what it measures, and sort of how it's changing the way we think about baseball statistics because. You know, you hear StatCast in the baseball vernacular all the time now, but I think unless you've really taken the time to learn what it is, it probably, you know, goes over some people's heads. They don't know exactly what it is. They think it's just a fancy word for new data, and I think it's important to understand what people mean when they're talking about StatCast data. What exactly are we looking at? What's it worth? We're going to get into all of that um, and then to round it out at the end, Sam and I have a little surprise for you. We got some questions we cooked up for one another. We don't know what they are, and we're going to see uh, who knows anything. Probably, yeah. probably neither. Yeah, this will be our second trivia segment. As we met, as we mentioned last time we did it, we're going to keep an ongoing scoreboard. We are currently tied, so let's see Let's see if we can break the tie today. We got 1-1. One, one. We got horns running into this match, and uh, I got to tell you, I feel pretty good about my chances here, Sam. Yeah. All right, we'll see. We'll, we'll just have to see how it, how it turns out. Maybe I was too easy on you with my questions. <laughs> uh, but with that, let's go into the first new segment today, and that's uh, the potential return of the NBA season. So the NBA is in a much different situation than the MLB in that they've already played most of their season. So when they think about re- returning to their season, it's not really so much a plan for you know, have a structure the season, but it's more a plan for a transition from the few games left in the regular season to the playoffs. Right. So what are they thinking about here, Aaron? Well, right now, uh, the NBA is looking at a proposal which would allow some portion of teams. I don't think there's consensus reached on whether it will only be contenders or whether there will be bottom feeders, contenders, and uh, people on the cusp as well. So the question is, who's going to come back? But the answer is, or the answer to where they're going to come back is some neutral site. Um, it's pretty set at Orlando at this point, from my understanding. Yeah, they had floated sort of Vegas as a single mm-hmm. site to play in in the past. From my understanding, they are sort of zoning in Orlando. Yeah. It's probably going to be that. And I think Walt Disney World is going to somehow be involved in, in hosting things. Right. Um but yeah, like Aaron, like Aaron said, there are a lot of unknowns unknowns here uh, because you know in the NBA they've already played you know over sixty games, so there are a lot of teams that are just definitely not going to make the playoffs. And the question is like, what incentive do they have to come back and play, especially from uh, when the NBA is such a like a tanking incentive league where all these teams are trying to lose anyway to get mm-hmm. high draft picks. So, you know, if star players on their team say, hey, we don't want to come back and play to just not make the playoffs, the teams are probably going to say, that's okay with us. We're just going to lose games. So right. there have been a lot of proposals, I think. But there's the other side of that, Sam, which is that some teams in that position are comfortable saying, we'll take the higher draft pick for sure and not risk anything else. But there are some other teams that don't see themselves – as as bad as they are this year. You know, I think about the Hawks as a good example of that. Like, 
This is a team that really sees a positive future, and they don't necessarily care maybe about moving from like pick seven to pick eight in a it's just chance anyway. You still could be the number one pick. Yeah. But and, and they sort of want to get some development. They want to get some time on because, the court. So there I mean, are two sides. Yeah, to it no, I, I agree with that, especially in the NBA when when getting your reps as a rookie second year player is, is so important. And, and playing as a team yeah. is arguably bigger than in uh, well, definitely bigger than in baseball, but arguably even bigger than in football. I would say. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that, and and that's that's sort of another thing to take into account for the NBA season, which is that NBA is a sport where chemistry matters so much mm-hmm. that. You can't really go right into the playoffs because there's going to be some adjustment period for these teams to get back. So, so you might have people saying, like, why are we even wasting our time with the regular right. season? We know which teams are going to be in the playoffs. But I think it's important that, you know, game seven of, of, of the first round of the playoffs doesn't have guys, like, just getting making their legs careless, under them. Yeah, yeah. making careless like, turnovers and shooting easy bricks, like... Yeah, there, you, there is a concern here about Russ when these players come back because it's such a rhythm sport... And chemistry, as you mentioned, is such a big part. These guys get in a rhythm during an 82-game season where they're playing every other day, every third day. You give them what's been, what, 12 weeks off at this point? It's going to be tough. Yeah, and the NBA is also an interesting sport in that for the teams that are contenders, you know, this year, like the Bucks, like the Lakers, like the Clippers, everything they've done in the regular season was sort of gearing up for that playoff. Right. Because NBA basketball is a totally different beast the game's called a little bit differently. You're playing your starters a lot right. more, so the bench matters less. It's a totally different game, and all these teams are sort of ramping up for the playoffs, and then they have this big hiatus, and that throws a major wrench in sort of what these teams have been planning all season. Right. So it's going to be pretty interesting. And so for some teams who you know weren't so healthy, perhaps, this is not welcomed, but it's definitely not as much as a detriment as it is to some teams who are maybe rolling doing a very good job of being able to rest their stars and getting ready to play the grueling NBA postseason schedule. Um, So this is interesting. We'll have to see how it comes back. We'll have to see about how the playoffs are even decided. I've heard talks of pool play, talks of tournament play. Um, We don't know what this NBA season is going to look like, but it's great news that it's looking like it could be on the horizon. Yeah, and you hear a totally different attitude when it comes to talking about the NBA coming back to the MLB coming back. With the NBA, it's not a question of the owners and the league fighting with the players. It's just a question of logistics. Mm -hmm. And I think that really speaks to what a a functional and well-run league the NBA is, especially compared to the MLB compared to the NFL. I think it really is like sort of the model sports league uh, in the United States. They're, they're very creative. The, 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 the players have a lot of power in saying what goes on. I just think it's a, it's a well-run league, and I think the MLB can definitely learn some things from how the NBA functions. I mean, for starters, the MLB could learn how to be a multimedia company in the 21st century. The MLB as an organization, as a league, is actually a very typical corporation in the sense that the way they operate, the way they're structured, it is very reminiscent of the boardroom of a Fortune 500 company. The NBA is behind the scenes quite similar, but the NBA understands that who they are is an entertainment company, a multimedia company. And they focus around a lot of those things. And the MLB could learn about content creation, you know, about listening to your employees a little bit. Like I, I saw something that was almost too crazy to believe today on Twitter. I don't know if this that's true. But I saw someone tweet that, like, the New York Times put out a poll and 43% of Americans do not know who Mike Trout is. Can you believe that? I mean, I... I I can I actually can believe that. Right, I can definitely wrap my head but around But, like, this. can you imagine if they put out that poll for LeBron James? It's right. probably, like, 2%. Right. It's just... And the, they are equally transcendent talents in the game. It, exactly. The fact that the MLB just does not understand marketing like the NBA does is a real detriment. But I think maybe this is a good transition into the next piece of news, which are what are the updates on the MLB coming back? Because it's a totally different uh, sort of attitude you're hearing from, from what's going to happen. So the, the Players Association and the league are in the process of talks. Last week, they mostly talked about health proposals, how they're going to deal with the, the pandemic during the season. The things that have sort of leaked from that is that players would likely be, 
be getting tested multiple times per week. I think the player. I think from what I've read, there the players and owners are still pretty far apart on health issues. But I mean, the main thing that they're far apart on, and this is something that you know has been they they've been fighting it out through the press for a while over the last few weeks. But yesterday, the owners actually came to the players with a proposal, and the players were not happy about it. And this is exactly what we're talking about, Sam. When you're talking about the NBA coming back, you're not saying, oh, you know, is this friction that exists between different factions of the league going to resolve? What you're saying is, is it safe? And can they find a way to do it? That's all. And then it definitely will come back. In the MLB situation, as you just alluded to, the big question for baseball is not, can we find a way to do it or can we make it safe? Because I think they've already determined that they can. The big question is, can the players and the owners agree on who gets the money? Yeah, so so with that in mind, let's get to the details of the owner's proposal to the players. So we had talked in the past about how the owners were preparing were proposing a 50-50 revenue split. They sort of scrapped that idea because it was, it was met with so much resistance from the players' association. Right, that's just a that's a nuclear topic. You can't yeah. really touch that. And basically, what they went with was a sliding scale proposal. So basically, the players that get paid the most in the league would be taking the biggest hit, and the players who are sort of making the minimum salary would be taking a smaller hit. And for some details on what this was, uh, basically players who normally make $35 million in a season, so in a prorated half season, they would be making $17.5 million. Uh, under this proposal, the owner said they'd be making $7.84 million, so they basically would only make 20% as opposed to 50% in the prorated proposal. $20 million would be making $5.15 million, so 25%. $10 million would be making $2.95 million, so 30%. And then the league minimum players, $563,500, would be making something like $262,000. So a little below 50%, but pretty close yeah. to it. So it's an interesting strategy by the owners to propose this because I think the PR perspective that they're achieving is basically sort of pitting the high-paying players, the yeah. high, highly paid players against the lowly paid players. So now if the Players Association rejects this deal, it's like, oh, well, the high, highly paid players don't want to take a hit for the lowly paid players. But, I mean, can, can they not see how hypocritical this comes yeah. off? Because you know who makes more than the highly paid players? Is the owners. Yeah. So, this is, again, though, actually, this goes back to my point quite well because this type of sliding scale pay reduction is a corporate tool. It's something used in corporations and it makes sense in the corporation because it's the CEO and the C-level executive saying, we're willing to take the biggest hit. But in this situation, it's actually the owner of the company being like, I'm doing this for everyone but me and I'm keeping my essentially prorated salary as the owner of the company or doing the most I can to stay as close to it as possible. Here's the thing. Part of me is like, this is really not fair. Like it's, it's a bit of exploitation of workers to an extent. But the other part of me is like, just take it. <laughs> I just want to watch baseball. and like, yeah, I get yeah. that. Like it's going to be really a bummer to make five mil this year when you thought you were going to make like 17, but it's this whole like year has been a bummer for everyone kind of in a, in a way or another. And this would go a long way to moving us back to normalcy. And, and in the alternative, you make no money, you make zero dollars and that's a way bigger bummer than making five. Yeah. So and, and to be clear, if the season doesn't happen, I'm going to be mad at the owners. I'm not going to be mad at the players yes. because, because yes. the owners are the ones acting in bad faith and, and they're not giving the players a chance. But from the perspective of a fan, like, I just want them to get a deal done so badly. Right. And, like, literally when I go on Twitter every morning and I read all the vitriol coming from either side, my heart just sinks because I, I want to watch baseball so badly and, right. I, and I totally I totally side with the players from an intellectual perspective, but my emotions sort of take over and just make me think, like, like come on, yeah, guys. Yeah. Just take the deal because I want to watch baseball. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. but I, I actually – I do think it – I want to agree with Sam wholeheartedly. If something doesn't go down, I will be livid with baseball owners indefinitely. And I will feel nothing but goodwill towards players. This is just one of those, like, desperation, like, I need to watch baseball. I need to see my amazing fantasy team produce this year, okay? 
He's trying to go for a three-peat, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I, what am I going to do? I'm yeah. going to lose a year of eligibility in my keeper league. I'm going to lose the shot at the three-peat. Oh, that, that's, that's maybe a more interesting question than how free agency gets settled is, you know, how does the dynasty how keepers does the dynasty in keeper Aaron's fantasy league get, a great get question. settled? And we I, might have to do an, uh, an episode on just that. A whole a whole episode, and I promise when <laughs> coronavirus gets <laughs> resolved, you will hear all about that. But for now, we are still in a scenario where it is very unclear whether baseball will be played this year. But the feeling I get, Sam, tell me if you agree, we'll know pretty soon. Yeah, I think we'll probably know within the next couple of weeks because, you know, if they want to start in July, they need to give the players notice right. to start another spring training. Right. So, yeah, I think we're going to find out in the next week or two. I really hope it's a good answer, but I got to say, like, from, from the press that comes out of it, I don't, I don't have a good feeling about it. Like, we discussed on the last podcast, like, there's so much at stake for both sides. There's such an incentive to get this done. So from that perspective, I still have some hope. But, like, it really seems like these two sides hate each other a lot. Yeah, it's looking really tough. But one thing we can definitely promise you is that when news breaks, Sam and I will be there with the special report because this is the biggest news so far of our podcasting year. We want to make sure you get it in real time. So we'll be there and we will continue to update this situation as it uh, continues to evolve. The last piece of news we have for everybody um, is just a little recap of something really fun that happened uh, over the weekend. And that's uh, the old doubles match. Or this was Memorial Day. How huh? This was on Monday. No, it was, it was oh, on Sunday. Sunday. Yeah. This is a little no, doubles match. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was. With Phil uh, Mickelson teaming up with Tom Brady, ex-Pants quarterback, and current Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback. And uh, Tiger Woods, TW as he was so affectionately called a few times, teaming up with uh, Peyton Manning to play a little doubles best ball. They had some funky rules thrown in for some fun games. Um, but all in all, what's important is they raised 20 mil for charity, and it was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, and, and this really demonstrated how desperate Americans are to watch some sports. Yeah, I didn't even tell you who won. So. Yeah. <laughs> six, six million people tuned into this match in the United States. So tell me what baseball is doing when six million yeah. people are watching a charity golf match, and, and they can't get back on TV. I mean, it's total nonsense. Yeah. But basically what ended up happening is it was a ton of fun. All the players were mic'd up. So you, you hear these four elite trash talkers mm-hmm. and champions just going at it the whole time. I would not call Tiger an elite trash talker. Really? I would not call Tiger any type of talker. No, I, Tiger Tiger can get some, some sauce in him. Yeah, and, t- and Tiger chipped a few times. but And I mean chipped with his mouth. He also chipped with his iron a few times. But he is not on the I, level of some of these I, other I think Tiger was hurt by his mic being much lower than the other players. Oh really? I thought that was his. I thought that was kind of his like. Uh, no, I think he just wasn't coming through because in the in the post game interview he sounded much much, much lower crisper and louder. No, no, like he was really low in the post game oh, interview. So I think the mic wasn't picking up well because because you could hear uh, Phil just giving Brady these really detailed reads pieces on of thoughts. advice. Yeah, and but you saw Tom talk. You, sorry, you saw Tiger talking to Peyton like on putts, talking through the putts. But it just wasn't really coming through on the audio. That's true. So I wonder if the audio was just bad on Tiger. But either way, it was a ton of fun. Tiger and Pagan ended up winning by one hole mm-hmm. uh, in match play. But you could see the competitive juices come out. Like uh, Phil and Tom were down three holes, and they sort of surged back at the end. And these guys were going at it, I mean... Until the last putt. Yeah, Tom and Phil... Uh, sorry. Uh, Tom and Pagan, obviously incredible athletes, not amazing golfers... But, like, they did a pretty good job, and on the 16th hole, they both, it was a part three, they both stuck their shot yeah. within, like, 10 feet. They both had like, amazing shots. Yeah. And it was just, like, they're just champions. They're, they sense that it's coming down to the water, right. and they just, <laughs> and they and they just show up. Yeah, it was super fun to watch. And also, yeah. like, in fairness to Sam, who doesn't golf all that much, I would say, Tom and Peyton were not great golfers. Like, they both got on the first tee and just shanked their drive on the first tee. But at the same time, like, Tom hit a two-iron a few times well during that round. Tom holed out from 148 yards. That was crazy. And Peyton was playing, like, scratch golf for a stretch of, like, seven holes at one point. So they're not great golfers because they're playing with Tiger and Phil, who are great golfers. But they're 
pretty damn good compared to Joe Schmo on the street. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't want to argue against that. I, you know, I've tried to get to the driving range, and honestly, just <laughs> just hitting the ball forward is a bit of a difficulty yeah. for me. And like, I, you know, I fancy myself not an amazing athlete, but a guy with pretty good hand-eye coordination. Like, yeah. I expect myself to to be able to hit a golf ball, and it's it's just harder than you harder expect. Harder than it looks. And look, I'll tell you guys, just so you know, I was qualified to uh, analyze both Tom and Peyton Slice on hole one because I have a very clinical slice. Um, I can slice the ball with just about anybody. I'll tell you, dur- during the summer, about all I hear about is is the current status of Aaron Swing. Is he... Am I playing well? Yeah, am I, playing am I well? absolutely losing it on the course? Did, did he get Did he get under ninety this week? <laughs> There's a golf course right next to our apartment, so uh, Aaron's going like almost. It's been every closed day. though, so yeah. we're hoping it opens soon. Um, and that was, you know, golf is a great time, and that was a really fun match to watch on TV. Um, if you have any questions about it, we watch the whole thing. Feel free to shoot us a message or an email at the Alonso Bet on Twitter, the Alonso Bet at gmail.com. Um, and with that, we're going to bring you into a very exciting StatCast segment. As we mentioned at the top of the episode, we are going, or uh, Stat Corner, we are going to go through StatCast, thank you, which is um, a new system of motion tracking. I think that's what it comes down to at its essence. Yeah. Is StatCast tracks all kinds of motion. It tracks player motion. It tracks ball motion. It soon will track bat motion. And... These raw data points of how fast the ball is moving and how it's moving and where the players are and how they're moving, these raw data points can be used and are used to try to make predictions about not what a player did, but maybe what we expected a player could do. Yeah, so so how does StatCast track these motions that Aaron talks about? And basically, it's split up into two different technologies. So when you hear about StatCast, it's actually two different things that are like two sets of data that are combined together. And the first piece of technology is something called TrackMan. And what TrackMan is, is it uses Doppler radar technology to track ball flight. It was actually originally developed for golf. Um, But basically what TrackMan can do is it can track a ball and the movement of the ball at a very fast speed, 20,000 frames per second. So basically 20,000 times a second, TrackMan can update the position of a ball. And uh, the sort of the past technology that was used in baseball to track pitches, let's say pitch FX, for comparison, ran at about 50 frames per second. So we're talking about technology that is 500 times more sort of faster than than uh, than the last piece of technology mm-hmm. that baseball used was in pitch FX. And, and interestingly enough, Sam, actually, um, TrackMan replaced pitch FX, and The Athletic just reported a few days ago that Hawkeye, something developed for tennis and soccer, will actually be replacing TrackMan soon. And we don't have all the data on that, so we won't go into it, but I'm very interesting to see that this is an evolving space. People are making new technology because we want more and more granular data to play with. Yeah, that's right, and, and I think uh, the sort of one of the cool things about Hawkeye is that in addition to being able to track the motion of the ball, it's also going to be able to track things like bat path. Mm-hmm. So it's just more data, more understanding of what's happening. And player limb tracking, it'll tell you where your arm was in conjunction with uh, your hips and legs interesting. as a yeah. pitcher. Just a lot more stuff, and basically, what does TrackMan measure for us? Well, since it can measure the ball sort of throughout time and where it was, it can measure things like pitch velocity pitch movement, so how much your breaking balls are moving relative to other breaking balls relative to gravity, it, and something that it sort of added in respect to with respect to pitch FX, which couldn't sort of monitor the ball fast enough, is spin rate. Mm-hmm. So it allows you to monitor how fast the ball is spin, spinning, rotations per minute, uh, and we've sort of talked about on the podcast uh, last week with Ben about how understanding pitcher spin rate has done a lot in the field of player development, mm-hmm. understanding how to uh, make your be- develop your best breaking ball and stuff like that. So uh, TrackMan is one, as Sam mentioned, and uh, you may or may not be interested to know, Sam, that uh, Doppler image processing is the same thing I do for my PhD work. Now, I don't use radar. You know, I don't yeah, use radio yeah. frequency waves, but uh, we do use 
Doppler broadening to and, uh, do a little I, bit of physics. I, I will say that uh, that in atomic physics, uh, the Doppler shift is a big shift. The Doppler shift is something you have to take into account a lot in monitoring mm-hmm. atomic resonances. So, so, so you're talking to a couple guys talking, who are big Doppler fans. Yeah, you're talking to a couple guys where who who just love Doppler effect. <laughs> uh, and, and and we should mention with TrackMan that it's not just measuring the ball as pitchers go, but also as hitters. Yep, it's measuring so, the ball off the bat. Yeah, so when you hear about things like exit velocity for hitters, launch angle for hitters, where they hit uh, the ball direction on the field, these are all things that are being measured by TrackMan. And the other component of this system, we have TrackMan for uh, measuring ball flight, really. The other one is a set of high-resolution cameras from a company called Kiron Higo, I believe. Uh, they're part of a larger Kiron corporation. This is stereoscopic videos, two sets of three, so six total cameras in every stadium around the MLB that tracks player positioning. So these cameras can tell you in detail. They have overlapping sight lines, so they know how, the depth of field that they're looking at. And what they can tell you in detail is where is a player basically at each moment on the field. Yeah, and I will give Aaron credit on this. Uh, before the episode, we were discussing this technology, and I was like, to be honest, I don't know what stereoscopic means. <laughs> and, I, and I Googled it, and Aaron said, well, isn't it uh, using uh, two cameras to, to get one image? And he was exactly right. So this this man knew from the start. He's a real scientist. Oh, he, put, yeah. he, he put me to shame. And uh, Just give me the PhD now. All right, yeah. I've done it. Um, so these cameras, um, combined with the, tr- I guess they're all cameras, but basically these high resolution cameras from Kiran Higo combined with the Doppler systems from TrackMan basically allow their operators, and I'm going to use that as kind of an abstract term at the moment because it's something we're going to get into, but it allows their operators to essentially capture every bit of motion on the field to have a full layout of positions, velocities, and subsequently accelerations at each moment of time for, a, let's say, a four-hour window of the ball game. Yeah, so they, they basically just know exactly what happened on the field during a day, during a game. And, you know, we talked about sort of the types of specific things that, uh, that TrackMan are measuring. Uh, the stereoscopic cameras are measuring things like fielder positioning and movement, which might go into, like, first step for an outfielder, mm-hmm. the type of routes outfielders are taking, and then also base runners. So it's going to measure oh, right, right. sprint speed on the base on the base paths, sort of how well players are taking leads, things like this. So all of, anything you could possibly imagine wanting to know about what happened on a baseball field in a given game, you're going to be able to parse apart from the sort of granular data that StatCast mm-hmm. gives you. And... This type of data, Sam, this how fast is the ball going, how's the ball spinning, how's the player running, this is a very different type of data than the type of data that creates the stats we all know and love. OBP, slugging percentage, even things like WRC+. Or war, even. Or war, even. Those are all statistics that are extremely, not extremely, they are just outcome-dependent. They only depend on the outcome of discrete events during a baseball game. That's right. Whereas StatCast is outcome independent. It doesn't matter whether the ball that you hit 118 miles an hour, John Carlos Stanton, was a 775-foot home run or a simple ground out to the third baseman on the box score. It does not matter. No one can take away from you the fact that you had the capability of hitting the ball. 118, 119, 120 miles an hour, which is something that we now know because of these stats. We might have speculated earlier, but we now know for a fact nobody else does. Yeah, and I think the ability to get into what actually happened in the play versus the outcome allows for a whole new level of understanding of stats because let's talk about something like WOBA or WRC+, where we've talked about this, I think, in episode three it was. And we talked about WOBA and WRC Plus are basically the peak offensive stats now. They really get into the details of how valuable every single double, triple home run you had were. They apply linear values to this, put them on the exact right scale, and let you know how productive of a hitter you were that year. But even in WOBA, 
they can't differentiate from you getting jammed and just getting lucky and poking a single. Or poking first, a double, getting jammed and dropping a ball over the first yeah, baseman's head. Yeah, over the first baseman's head versus a guy who just absolutely smoked the ball right. and missed a home run by half a foot. It has a ground rule double, yeah. yeah. Like, like WOBA sees those two hits as the same, but from a process perspective, they're not. Because if you're consistently just hitting absolute you know, frozen ropes that are getting close to going out of the park, you're going to be a more productive hitter because you're getting close to hits that can be like home runs that are regularly doubles. Right. Well, if you're regularly getting jammed and poking the ball towards the first baseman, you know, maybe you're going to get lucky and get a double every now and then, but you're also going to pop out a lot. So understanding sort of the, the raw data behind the batted ball outcomes is important in understanding sort of on a second-order level how well a hitter is performing. And I think, as always, we want to kind of keep perspective here. So, to the other side of Sam's point, it's still valuable to know that a guy, let's say in one year or over a two-year span or something, was just really good at finding a way to get the job done. Because that happens a lot. Like, there are guys out there who have stretches, whether it's 60 games or a full season or two seasons, where, yeah, they don't hit that many piss routes off the wall. But they find a way to get the job done. They get jammed and they muscle a hit. Or they take one in the shoulder or something. And those numbers, that bit of luck, is still nice to know. It gives you maybe a rounder picture. But these statistics are far less or far less scrutable, I would say. It's much harder to look at something and say, oh, well, uh, Giancarlo can't be you know, that strong of a power hitter. Um, even though he has, like, the five hardest hit balls in Trackman yeah, history. Like, there's, there's less left to question because, you know, maybe in the past if someone performed well, you might have said, hey, they had a high batting average on balls in play, so maybe they were getting lucky. But now we can look at StatCast data and say, hey, did they really deserve that high batting average right. on balls in play? Were they just smoking the ball and stuff like that? And there's one other piece of inf- information we should mention about StatCast data before moving on, which is that unlike a lot of other data that goes into uh, into like these other stats, like uh, outcome-dependent stats, because everyone knows the outcome of every at-bat in baseball. You can just watch the game. You can look at the yeah. box scores. Everyone knows these You can't stats. hide that. StatCast data, however, is not public. It is not open source, and it's the proprietary property of MLB. So you, Aaron and I... You guys, unless you're, you know, part of an MLB organization or work for MLB. Or the front office, yeah. Yeah. You cannot go and look at these granular StatCast data. Now, there's a lot of amazing data created. There's a lot of amazing stats created out of StatCast data that MLB puts out for public use. And we're going to talk about... We're going to talk about it in depth. We're going to talk about one of those in depth. And we'll talk about more of them on upcoming episodes. But the actual StatCast data itself is not available for public use. And I think this is an interesting thing because the field of baseball stats, of sabermetrics, sort of grew out of a lot of baseball outsiders being yeah. able to gather I mean, stats. Even Bill James was a baseball yeah, outsider exactly. at the time. Being able to gather stats that were available to them and develop new stats uh, moving forward. Right. This is not something that people will be able to do with StatCast data. So, like, you know, even if even if Aaron and I were interested in coming up with our own stat based on StatCast data, we could not do it. And I think this is going to change sort of maybe the development of the field of, of sabermetrics in that it might be more of an insider type thing where you need to be part of an organization, part of the MLB to really be at the cutting edge. And um, you kind of wonder, will it affect the future of baseball statistics? And I would actually say no. Even though it's closed source and it will change the way that statistics would evolve in baseball, there is enough attention paid at the uh, you know front office level of most MLB clubs today in advanced statistics and analytical analysis that I think they're going to cover all their bases with these stats. But it just it makes it a little less fun for guys like us who would like to go and play around with those stats a little bit. Um, but as Sam mentioned, you can't see the the detailed raw data. But you can access an amazing website that we want to kind of break down for you guys um, called Baseball Savant. So this is out of the commissioner's office at the MLB. I believe it's primarily run by a guy named Darren Williams. 
Dar- Darren Willman. Darren Willman. So, so Darren Willman creates a lot of the the visuals on on uh, Baseball Savant, and he is a savant. He yeah. is great at data visualization. Uh, yeah. So he's a, a data visualization guy. But actually, the the people creating the stats themselves. This is a team mainly, I think, led by Mike Petrello, who uh, used to work for Fangraphs, and then Tom Tango who is a legend of sabermetrics. I believe he actually developed both BIP and WOBA. Uh, but now he is he is actually now in charge of sort of leading the effort of creating new stats with StatCast data. Uh, and he, he works with MLB on that. Well, either way, what he does is, is great. Yeah. And this site is great. It gives you the ability to basically see a vast number of different data... Um, extrapolations or created data from the raw data of StatCast from TrackMan and from these cameras. So um, one of those we'll talk about later is XWOVA. But before we get into that, we kind of want to explain the site a little bit. So when you go on it, it's very, very different from um, like a typical statistics site. It's very different from fan graphs. It's very different from baseball reference. At the top, you're going to see a bar of all the games. Right now it says all postponed. Um, and this may be easier if you're at a computer to go to Baseball Savant, but either way, you'll get an understanding of what they have going on. At the top, you have all the games. They all say postpone, but when they're on, you can do something that Sam and I love to do, which is click on the game, and it will tell you each pitch. What's the speed? What type of pitch it is? What's its RPMs? And then for each batted ball, it'll tell you, you know, uh, the angle that it was hit at, the exit velocity. And the expected batting average. And so the expected it'll tell you, uh, It'll tell you a ball that's hit at that exit velocity at that launch angle in that direction, typically goes for a hit 30% of the time, 35% of the time. And then sort of in real time, you might think to yourself, hey, he was that guy was really unlucky that he didn't get a hit there. And then you could just go and confirm that intuition. Just go look on Baseball Savant, and you'll see, oh, yeah, that was going to be a hit 75% of the time. He was unlucky to get out there. Or like Sam and I, you're sitting there and you go, wow, he really smoked that ball. And then you go on Baseball Savant and you realize he hit it at like, 85 miles an hour with the exit velocity of 45 degrees, and you're like, oh my god, yeah, something something you'll realize when you uh, when you watch games and then look on Baseball Savant is that what you think is smoking a ball is basically just hitting it at a certain launch angle. <laughs> it sort of has nothing to do with the velocity. So once you get beyond that, you have all these different tabs at the top. You have the game feed, which is essentially the same thing. Um, you have matchups. You have probable pitchers, and these matchups they show you. The type of pitcher that a player is by his um, baseball savant or trackman or statcast data. Yeah, um, they like spin rate. Spin rates like and K rates and all that stuff combined together to give you an idea of what kind of pitcher he is. And then they tell you how does this hitter do against that type of pitcher. So they have a pretty detailed database and a pretty large extrapolation. And then beyond that, you can do what something that I think is super cool. There's a leaderboard where you can see all this stuff. But one thing I think is super cool is under visuals. I just want to highlight this. You can basically look at any type of cool data visualization. So you can pick any player, basically since 1904, I think, and see where all of their home runs in a season or all of their home runs in a career or all of their home runs over a certain game span went. You can see where a pitcher throws all their different types of pitches or where a fielder gets the majority of their outs. This is an incredible, incredible website, and I urge you guys to play around with it because there's so many really interesting tools on here and so many cool things to see. Yeah, and if, if, you, if you guys want in the future, we could have an episode where we sort of maybe even have a video component and do like a baseball savant uh, sort of tutorial. Walkthrough, yeah. Yeah, if that would be interesting for you guys, let us know. But before we get to our, our trivia segment, let's just talk about one cool stat that is developed from StatCast data, and that is expected WOBA, XWOBA. So we've talked about WOBA before. It was in episode three, and this is basically an all-encompassing offensive statistic that, use line- that uses linear weights from outcomes and determines basically how valuable you are as a hitter. And what expected WOBA does is it doesn't actually look at the outcomes, but it looks at uh, what it expects your outcomes to be from basically how hard you're hitting the ball and what your launch angle is. So for a given launch angle and exit velocity, it can predict that on average, you know, if you hit the ball 100 miles per hour, 25 degrees in the air, uh, that's going to be a home run a lot of the time. It's going to turn into doubles a lot. Your expected WOBA on that 
is going to be really high, like something like 700 or 800. And it does this for all of your at-bats. And instead of looking what your actual WOBA is, your expected WOBA sort of looks at what sort of the raw outcomes of your batted balls should be translating into in terms of offensive success. Or did translate into offensive success over the course of the past season, or maybe they used a 300-game bin. I'm not totally sure. But this is, again, as we mentioned, a very interesting statistic because it totally takes the deterministic aspect of what did happen on that play out, and it says, on average, what should have happened. And so what you can see from this is that you really get some unexpected answers as to... Well, you get some expected answers, but you can also get some surprises. The the top three in expected (laughs) WFA last year were Mike Trout, Cody Bellinger, and Christian Yelich. It's not... It's not changing that much from right. WOBA because over a large enough sample, you expect these things to sort of come close to converging. And on the flip side, the lowest expected WOBA last year was Nicky Lopez, Stevie Wilkerson, D. Gordon, and Billy Hamilton. So you're not seeing it. Like, it's not a surprise. You know, it's not like it's super, super crazy. But to give you an example, the player who had the largest WOBA over their expected WOBA, so who overperformed on their projections. Who who was quote-unquote luckiest player last year? So he had uh, almost a 55-point bump in WOBA from what he was expected, which is pretty large. Yeah, which is a lot. I mean, I think on the scale of WRC+, that could be something probably like 20 points. I'm not sure exactly, but... I think it's a little less than that, but it's pretty big. Um, That was Fernando Tatis. Actually, yeah, and, and we talked about, and, and we sort of talked about this when we talked about Tatis on another episode of the podcast. Is that he had like an over four hundred Babbitt. So this is maybe another way of seeing like that sort of production is unsustainable. Mm-hmm. And the unluckiest hitter in baseball last year by expected WOBA. You can never say the unluckiest hitter in baseball. Yeah. There's too many factors. You can never say that for sure. But from expected WOBA versus how they actually performed. The least lucky hitter in baseball last year was Marcelo Zuna. His WOBA was a pretty paltry 336, but his expected WOBA was 382, which would be pretty damn good. Yeah, and that's the difference between being like a slightly above league average hitter to being like a very good hitter. And interestingly enough, a guy who's number 12 on the list, Mookie had a 380 WOBA last year. That's really good. Yeah. But his expected WOPA was 408. Yeah, and, and Mookie is, it, it, as that goes, Mookie's a guy that people sort of thought of as having a bit of a down year compared to his previous mm-hmm. MVP season. So, yeah. Could he have been a little unlucky? Perhaps that's part of what the data says. Yeah, so, you know, expected WOBA, just one awesome stat that's coming out of StatCast. There are tons of other ones, including, I think, some really promising fielding stats yeah. that are benefiting from knowing the position of players at all times. And this allows them to sort of overcome uncertainties and shift data and stuff like that. So we will definitely talk about outs above average, which is uh, sort of the stat cast fielding data in a, in a later stat corner. And also, uh, you know, as we finish this, this extended stat corner, we don't only want to talk about stats from baseball. You know, We want to be able to bring advanced stats from all types of sports to you guys. So if you have a stat, let's say, from the NBA or from the NFL that you want us to explain that you're curious about, just re- yeah, reach out to us, let us know it, and we'll, we'll jump into that stat in another episode. We'll put it on the schedule. But with that, let's get to a quick trivia segment. So I think we will both ask each other two questions like we did last time. Yeah. Uh, last time, we will keep a, a running scoreboard, so last time, Aaron and I both stumped each other once and got one of the other person's questions. So let's see if we can break this tie this time. Uh, here, I'll, I'll ask you the first question. Okay. Uh, so two players are tied at the longest streak of quality starts with 26. Can you name one of them? Clayton Kershaw. He is not one of them. Oh, man. Uh, the two pitchers are Bob Gibson, who in the 67-68 season... Wait, wait. Can I make one more guess? All right. Take one more guess. Well... The second one. I guess, this, I guess it's wrong, but I'm guessing from... The other guy I would guess is Greg Maddox, but it's I feel right. like you asked the Greg Maddox tribute question last time, so you couldn't do another That's one. That's not right. 
Uh, so Bob Gibson from 67 to 68 had a 26 game streak with a .9 ERA. Jesus. He went that's why they lowered yeah. the mound. That's, he, a, that's a mound lowering season. He went 17 and 6. He threw 19 complete games over those 26 games. That's uh, insane. But the the man who tied that streak, who has arguably been the best pitcher in baseball of the last two years, is Jacob DeGrom. In 2018, into, I think, the first two games of 2019. This is just embarrassing for two reasons. <laughs> One is that it happened so recently. The second is that if Sam is asking the question, why am I just not automatically guessing Jacob DeGrom? That's what I don't know. Uh, over this stretch, DeGrom actually only had one complete game, so it shows you how much the game has changed from that yeah. perspective. He had a, a gigantic 1.55 ERA compared to Bob Gibson's, and uh, this is a testament to Jacob DeGrom's run support. He went 9-9 nine and nine over that stretch. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> wow. Well, okay, so that's a stump to me. I got, I'm, I'm so up to two. two. One. I'm going to start you with an easy one. Alright. Who is... The MLB career leader in pickoffs. In pickoffs. Wow. I'm going to go with just based on longevity, Roger Clemens. I think that's a good guess, but it's not. It is I'll give you one more guess because I, I took I took two stabs at yours. It's not. So the other one I could go with is a lefty. So let me go with Randy Johnson. Another good guess, but it's actually Steve Carlton. So you have the lefty idea right, um, but the arrow was slightly wrong. Steve Carlton, career pickoff leader with only 144. So over, what, maybe like 20 seasons? He's probably averaging... 24 seasons. So he's averaging like five a season, basically? Basically, yeah. Yeah. I Um, guess that's not... a pickoff, like at least now, is a pretty rare event. So five, yeah. five a season is pr- pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we that may be one of the most undercover records that, like, unless the game changes drastically, like, I don't really see somebody picking off five guys a year for twenty five years. Maybe, maybe, maybe a guy who just can fire at the first, like John Lester. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can really hit the ball with those yippers. Then, uh, then, yeah, you could be right. Um, all right, so that ties us up. It's dose and dose. Why don't you go again? All right, I'm going to go with a bit of a hard one. Because I thought I was giving you the easy one last one. It wasn't easy. Uh, so there have been 11 seasons in Major League history where a pitcher threw over 150 innings, got a sub-3 ERA, but while doing that, they walked more than five batters per nine. Can hmm. you name the last pitcher to do it? Most recent. The most recent. And I will give you... Uh, a clue, because this is very hard. Yeah. The year it happened was 2008, and the division it happened in was the AL East. Okay, so in 2008, an AL East pitcher pitched 150 innings but had a walk rate above 5. And a sub-3 ERA. And a sub-3 ERA. Yeah. 2008 Angels. I mean, I think that... I will give you one more clue, because this is hard. Mm-hmm. It is a foreign player. It is a foreign player. In Ooh. the AL East in 2008. You said the Angels, right? Or no, the, the AL East. Oh, okay. I, in 2008. You, you wasn't in the league yet. No, but that's it's the right country. You wasn't in the league yet. So we have another... Oh my god. I feel like I should get this one now. I've gotten so many clues. Hold on. I won't, I don't want to make us wait too long. We got Angels, Rangers, Astros. No, the East. The East. Oh, the East. Jeez, no wonder. <laughs> the Yankees, Rich. Oh, Tanaka. It was not Tanaka. Tanaka. Oh, Dice K? It was Dice oh, K. Oh, yeah. Dice K. Right. A lot of guesses, but I'll give it to you. Oh my god, wow. That, talk about that. <laughs> Um, well, I'll give you as many guesses as <laughs> for this one. I thought this was going to be pretty easy, um, but it turned out it wasn't. So I want to know, Sam, who all time has the best OPS against a starting pitcher the third time they face them? Minimum 150 plate appearances in their career against by, the pitcher the third time. By the third time, you mean in a given game? Yes. I see. So who is just... 
It was just teeing off it was on guys. Off. So like this is from 1904 to 2019. Yeah. So the the obvious guess is you know, like, someone like Barry Bonds, but I guess that's probably not going to be it. I mean, Barry Bonds is a great guess. He's eighth on the list. Yeah. So some other guys I could see up there. So, like, someone who just understands the science of hitting, Ted Williams. That's also a great guess. He's number seven on the list. Um, can you give me an era, at least? For number one? Yeah. Number one is an active player. An active player, like... It, is it Pujols? No. I don't... Uh, Pujols is 18. Is it Trout? Trout is 9, of course. I was going to say we're talking about this. If you're looking up any offensive leaderboard uh, over history of anything, Trout's always in the top 10. It doesn't matter what it is. Yeah, I mean, he's just... He's on his way of being... <laughs> he's the greatest player of all time. I mean, so. it, you know, Bonds are him. Yeah. Uh, so, currently active, it's going to be some weird guy... <laughs> Oh my god. Is it Vado? No, no, it's not Vado. But that's actually, a, that's a better guess than you know. Is it, um... I'm giving you two more guesses. <laughs> Nelson Cruz? No, it's not Nelson Cruz. Um, alright, one more guess. Miggy? No, it's Jesse Winker. <laughs> 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 Sliding in with the cool 154 plate you, appearance. You could have given me a billion guesses. Yeah, I, I thought never that's why I said number two. That was Babe Ruth. Like if you guessed Babe, I probably would have given it to you since their OPS is well, it's 33 points different somehow. But um, that's so, that's dirty. I know. Well, the other one, the other one, I'll tell you because now I feel like I'm gonna have to pick a whole new thing. I was gonna ask you who has the all-time longest streak of. Games with eight or more strikeouts, two or less walks, and a double play induced. Eight or more strikeouts, two or less walks. Uh, someone who doesn't, like, um, Bartolo Colon? No, no. It's Chris Carpenter. Oh, that's interesting. At four games. So, not... not All right, so I got stumped both questions, and I gave Aaron... And I'm, I'm, I'm going to give Aaron half a point for the next guy. <laughs> So, 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 Aaron is now up to uh, to two and a half. I'm a two and a half. Sorry, to one, one and a half to my one in terms of correct answers. Oh, yeah, in terms of correct answers. I yeah. got one and a half. You're still sitting there one. Yeah. Maybe we do some so. So, in that case, it would be two and a half to... To two. To three. Oh, to three, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, so that's, that's the updated le- leaderboard on trivia. Both of us were big disappointments and, and didn't really get <laughs> any question right without a lot of hints today. I'd like to say that we'll do better next time, but the fact is we're not telling each other the questions because we want to stump each other, so yeah. I got no promises. Maybe we have to... I think both of our second questions were a bit unfair. Yeah, we got to rein in the scope <laughs> uh, a little bit. Okay. Right? But with that, you know, thank you for tuning in to the Alonzo Bet today. We had a great time. Uh... Talking about Statcast, I think I think it was a really fun conversation. And, and once again, guys, make sure that you follow us on Twitter at the Alonzo Bet. You're following us on your favorite podcasting platform, and you're leaving us positive reviews to just let us know what we can do better, what we're doing great, and what you'd like to hear from us. So, signing off again tonight. Uh, we're the Alonzo Bet. I'm Aaron, and I'm Sam. That's all, folks. <laughs>